Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hey everybody, this is See It to Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger and I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural Southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. In a lot of cases, I didn't even know those jobs existed. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is my good friend, Matthew McNary. He owns his own marketing agency, and I'm really excited to have you hear his story. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, Living Corporate fam? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. This week, let's talk about why tailoring your resume is so important. Let me tell you a quick story. When I got fired from my first job out of college in 2011, I was frantically looking for employment. I created a resume, had someone look it over, and I went to work. I mean, I sent that same resume to well over 250 employers. I probably only heard back from about 30 of them, 25 of which were like, nah fam, we're good on you. I didn't disclose that I had been fired, so I knew it wasn't because of that, but at the time, I couldn't pin down the reason why. Looking back on it, I realized that it more than likely was because I was sending the same generic resume to every company no matter what industry or role it was for. Had I known what I know today, I would have been more strategic, but we all know hindsight is 2020. Before your resume is ever seen by human eyes, it is more than likely scanned by what the industry calls an ATS, or Applicant Tracking Software. This software scans your resume for keywords and phrases, then assigns you a percentage. If that percentage isn't higher than the threshold set by the employer, then you're automatically thrown into the no pile no matter how qualified you may actually be. To take it a step further, study shows that recruiters look at your resume for about six seconds, count them up, six seconds before deciding if you're moving on to the next step in the hiring process. You have to increase your chances by giving them the information they want to see. The way you do that is by tailoring your resume for each job that you apply for. So here are some general rules. Do a quick review of your resume and take out any expired licenses and certifications, jobs with no transferable skills to the role you're seeking, skills and duties that don't apply to the position that you're trying to land, and trainings that have no role in this job. 
then you want to work on replacing them with new and relevant experience that you've gained, keywords that you identify from the job description, transferable skills and expertise that would be useful in any industry, and applicable trainings, licenses, and certifications. Tailoring your resume helps to ensure that you at least have a fighting chance to make it past that applicant tracking software and be seen by a recruiter. After that, you have to make sure that your resume is selling you appropriately to make it to that next step. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by the Liberated Love Notes Podcast, part of the Living Corporate Network. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast is a starting point for integrating self and community affirmations into your daily practices. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast centers the experience of black folks existing in white systems and speaks to overcoming imposter syndrome, disrupting injected and internalized forms of oppression, embodying an abundance mindset, and building a healthy, racial identity check out liberated love notes podcast wherever you listen to podcasts hosted by Brittany Janae Harris hey everybody welcome back to see it to be it my guest today is Matthew McNary Matthew is the founder and CEO of ground floor creative a full service marketing agency for small to mid-sized businesses I met Matthew because he and I are in the same uh, business networking group, BNI, and he is a good friend, and I'm so glad to have him here today. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for asking me to be on. This is awesome. I am so excited. I love talking to people I know about their careers because a lot of times, especially when we meet in a business setting, we get caught up on what we're doing right now. We don't always get each other's history. We just do the day-to-day business stuff, and we forget that we're people, too. That's right. With with pasts and baggage and all sorts of fun things to, to uncover. So, oh I boy, start... am I on the couch today? Am I on the couch? No, today? you are not. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> I know right now you have your own marketing company, but I want to go all the way back to pre ground floor creative, Matthew. Pre, I know where you were before. And I don't want to spoil it. But what did you go to school for? What did you think you wanted to do? Was it this? I think I was one of those rare cats that kind of fell into what. I'm doing already. I, I wanted to be in advertising. First of all, I wanted to be an author. That's what I thought I wanted to be. And then I realized that I don't do enough drugs and alcohol to be a great author, that all my all my writings would not be realized why I'm on the earth. And that didn't seem cool to me. And then I got into advertising, which you can write stories and you can see how those stories finish faster. If you did a good job, you, it was a, a successful ad campaign. So that's, I gravitated towards that. There were people in my life that were in that line of work. So that, I went to school for advertising. Excellent. I, I thought, and then you got out of school. Yeah. And where did you go? Did you go straight into an advertising role? School. And I got a job at a uh, magazine company. It was an industry magazine company. So not necessarily advertising. I, in my head, I was going to work at these big ad agency and be this ad guy. And that didn't happen, but that's okay. I was thrust in the role of, of magazines that such uh, household names as Fuel Oil News and Tobacco Regal Tail, like Candy Buyer Magazine, household name. I'm dying laughing because I know you and I know what kind of soul-sucking conversations you had with yourself. The downstream petroleum industry on lock from the <laughs> 2000s. Love this. I love this. Okay. So you're working in magazines and then what happened? Were you doing like ad sales? Were you doing print? Like 
building print ads? What kind of work were you doing there? I was doing, there was some production work for magazines, which was interesting, learning the difference between saddle stitch and, and, and bounded magazines and how they're all laid out, things like that. At first I started in not selling the advertising, but uh, making sure that every spot was filled and making sure the magazine was laid out correctly. I then uh, went into a research role. I was the uh, head research editor for our group. I actually wrote some articles and got published and it was uh, on boring things that no one no 20 something year old would read and all worked. And then the, I was during the dot-com bubble. And when that burst, there was lots of layoffs and I got washed out in the third round. I survived three rounds um, of, of layoffs. But that started a new journey for me just to find other work. And so where did you go from there? Having uh, some graphic design and layout experience and some print media experience. So that's, this was up in Chicago, four years up there. And so yeah, I, I, I went home to mama. I went back home, back down to uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. And a dream of mine was to work at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. And they had a, a job op opening for a traffic coordinator. I didn't know what that was. I, I didn't know if I was going to be parking cars, but um, it was in the marketing department. So I, I applied and I, I got the job. And so I was working in one of my dream spots. It was, it was awesome. That's excellent. Now for people outside of Indianapolis who don't understand why the Children's Museum would be a dream spot, if you've never been there, Indianapolis is home to the largest children's museum in the world. And it is phenomenal. It is a phenomenal place to visit. It is a great place to spend an entire day with your children. The best part to me about the Children's Museum is they know how to get kids out at the end of the day. <laughs> so you know about this, Matthew? Have you been so there they, at the end of the day? They piper them out of, of they the, really yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. They have something called the end of the day parade. For those who haven't been there, this is the most brilliant thing ever. Because if you're ever taking your kid anywhere where they're having fun, getting them to leave is the worst thing you could possibly do as a parent. It feels like abuse because they're screaming, they don't want to go. But when the museum closes at five or whatever time the museum closes, they have the end of the day parade and they get all the kids, just like in a line like Pied Piper, and they give them little flags to wave and they march them down the ramp and they start on the fifth floor and they work all the way down until you're out the door and the kids think it's great and the parents think it's even better and I guess what I love about it is they've built they've built a good experience into every aspect of that museum even the leaving part which I think oh, yeah. is pretty incredible it was amazing and the frontline staff there is amazing bar none they, they treat everyone so kindly and, and treat the kids so well and it's just a great experience if, you, if you're ever in Indianapolis you must go to the Museum of Indianapolis. Yeah, even if you don't have kids, it's still a lot of fun. I, I will tell a quick story. One of my one of Please. my favorite stories about the museum, there's security everywhere to protect the kids. And this is back in the day where they would have uh, toddlers and the parents would have these almost like leashes. They're like backpacks, but they have a long leash to them. And I was talking to the head of security and he, and he said, I really don't condone that too much, but we never lose those kids. <laughs> Because <laughs> every time you're working there, you hear on the loudspeaker, they had a code for it to define a lost child. And so I think half the time security is looking for lost children who wander away from their parents. But we never lose those kids. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> it's easy to do there because there are lots of places where they can go and hide and get out and escape and stuff. But I love the museum. So what? So you said that your job there was traffic coordinator for marketing. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I had to learn on the fly. Internally, the museum has several projects going on. They have several departments from exhibits to, to, to development, to membership. And inside, they had to make all these marketing tools to get out to the public. And my job was to create a system to organize and date and flow all those projects from 
the marketing coordinators, to the designers, to the clients, the internal clients, and make sure everything gets done on time. So that, that I was like an air traffic controller for all things marketing. And now as you're saying that, I'm thinking that must have been, that must have been exhausting because they have rotating exhibits constantly. They have rotating programs constantly. They have events, they have guests. There's a lot going on on any day at the museum. It's like going to Disney World, right? Oh yeah, it was crazy. And people would uh, forget something and they would need something fast. And so we had to put something on hold to put this one in front of it just to keep everything moving and keep everyone happy. And when invites for high-end donor events were happening, we had to make sure that those were got done properly and we would send them out to Diversity Press. So when I first met that company here in Indianapolis, so they would make sure they get everything out and mailed out to everyone properly and on time. It was chaotic. It, it was fun. It, it, I don't know. It was a job. <laughs> it was a learning experience. It was learning on the fly. Yes, for sure. No, that's great. And so then at some point while you were working there, you decided, hey, I really think I can do this on my own. I think it'd be more fulfilling, right? To do it on my own. And that's when you started your business. Is that correct? Along those lines, there was a couple of us that were there. We saw the costs and what went into making things. And just when things were becoming affordable to do on your own, and people were just starting to be able to do the magic on their own. And a group of us thought that we could we could definitely do this for a, a lower price and, and do just as good as, as a prod, product out there for folks. And uh, we just took took a leap. You know, we kept our jobs and started out slow and then finally. And a lot of people was, are doing that right now with the pandemic. A lot of people are saying, yeah, my job's all right, but I think it's time to move on. What for you was the scariest part of that? Oh, I mean, everything. Study money. Like that's the thing you're giving up. Do you want a steady paycheck that you're going to get every month or is it going to up and flow and, you're, and are you okay with that? that? That was scary to suss that out. Will anybody like me, <laughs> for lack of a better term? At the time, everyone had these established places. And why would I go away from an established place to go with someone I've never even heard of before? And actually, that was, a, that was an issue of contention between the partners and I, that we were charging prices for a, not a known commodity. And so it was hard to... to to bridge that. You work it, you get one or two people to buy in, and then you slowly layer that on top of each other. And, and then you let the work speak for itself eventually. And that was 09. And here we are still. So. And I guess I didn't realize you'd been out on your own that long. Does the fear ever go away, Matthew? No, and it shouldn't. For, <laughs> okay. and no, it, it really shouldn't. Like what's going to drive you? Like you, as a solopreneur, entrepreneur, I feel, in my opinion, you always need two hands in your back pushing you somewhere. If you start resting on your laurels, you start getting you know fed off the hog. That's when things go crazy. Another quick story. We started out, eventually the original partners and I uh, went our separate ways. We just nothing bad, just we just had different ideas. And, and so we went our separate ways. I continued on when we were primarily focused on website builds. That focus shift to video production. And you, I got a, a client, a local client, a big electronic company. And they were 80% of our business, especially in videos. And one day, poof, it was gone. And yeah, talk about, oh my gosh, I've leaned too heavily into this. And now I went from doing all right to I have nothing and starting all over from scratch. So that, that's a scary thing. But not to put all your eggs in one basket. To, and it's a life lesson just to manage that out. And, and so now we're more diversified in video and in web production and trying to it's, you live and learn sometimes as you go about it, but it, it never gets unscary. And I think that's a good thing. That's great. So I'm sitting here as an entrepreneur four years in about two and a half years out of that steady paycheck of just 
like being on my own full time. It was not the answer I was hoping for, but I guess I don't pay you to make me feel better. So we're okay. It's one of those things you want to be not scared anymore. Is that what I'm hearing? I want to feel like I don't have to be. Is that fair? Like I'm okay being scared if I know I don't have to be. And maybe scared is the wrong word, but you want that feeling. You want that feeling, right? Oh, I can't remember the person. I'd I like to give credit to where I hear this from, but that that fear that you that you worried about, that you shut down from, sometimes fear is good because it saves you from getting eaten. But sometimes fear is there just to tell you to stop. I mean, it's just a feeling. So you always want that feeling there. And I'm, I'm, I'll go back and maybe we'll put it in the show notes or something. But the way it was put was when it's not something deadly, that fear that was there is always there at the best things that happen. When you go on your first date, that fear was there to ask that person out. When you're, when a child was born on your wedding day, when you took the plunge and started your business, that fear was there. And yeah, that, that's the same fear that pushes you as you're going through this process, but you don't want to shut that out because the fear is always there in good moments. And on the other side of that fear are good things. So maybe that's why I always want that fear around. No, I like that. And I think what you're describing in my mind is like the difference between roller coaster fear it's exciting, but it, I'm not going to, but I don't right. necessarily know what's coming versus like plane crash fear, which is very palpable and terrifying. So <laughs> there's the difference right between those two things. The roller coaster fear, I'm totally okay with, but confusing roller coaster fear with the airplane fear, I think is where sometimes, especially as new entrepreneurs, we get stuck. Would you agree? I a hundred percent agree. I'm going to that right now. I'm <laughs> I always do things for a while and then I just burn it all down and start from scratch. I do that with everything I do. It's, it's the best and worst part of my personality. And it's annoying sometimes, but on the other side, you come out a little bit better. And that's all I want to do is be 1% better every single day. And yeah, that's what you, you, you strive for is to push through that fear and, and get the goodness on the other side. Don't let, yes, there's some fears that are, that paralyze you. I, I get that. If you're deathly afraid of something, okay, that's fine. But not everything is that. And so you just have to push through. You just have to do it. So and people you, like you, Amy, people like you, Amy, help people like me get through. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about being an entrepreneur can be very lonely. Even if you have a team, even if you have partners, you can't always, you don't always get your bucket filled from the people that work for you or the business partners that you have, because there's usually some tension there about delivery or how you're going to do different things. Where do you go for community? Where do you go to fill up your bucket? That's a, that's a great question. Um, because for a long time, I was just on my own. My cousin, she started a photography company and we would meet for lunch and we would talk and it was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I've met someone that has the same questions and fears that I do. Like it was like, we were long lost companions that we found each other finally. And you're right. You do need that companionship. You and I were in a, a business networkers international. And one, one of the, I think untold benefits of that is to have a group of people who are like-minded that have the same fears. We are different businesses, but we had the same fears, same goals, same struggles. And just to know that that age old thing that you are not alone and you're not, if you think you are, you're not, you just have to go and find a community that that's just like you, whether that be on LinkedIn, on Facebook, BNI, what, what have you, they're out and they're very warm and welcoming. And just to go out and just have a copy or a cup of coffee is what I'm trying to say. And just talk, talk shop and you'll find out that, oh yeah, we align. Yeah. I think one of the great things uh, about our BNI group for me and this is not a commercial for BNI, although Ivan Meisner, if you're listening, you want to send me five bucks, go for it. Um, 
<laughs> but one of the things that I love about that group is it's not just all people who are in the same boat as entrepreneurs, but we all share a, a similar philosophy about the way we want to be entrepreneurs, which is rising tide lifts all boats and we all want to help each other. And I think finding people who are philosophically similar to you, even if they don't do the same kind of work, can also be very fulfilling. I, I agree. I agree 100%. I agree. This, there is so much out there. And I was a victim. Like in the beginning, it was like, mine, mine, mine. I don't, I don't want to lose anything. I went, you to hold on to things. And when you realize that there's so much out there, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of just, if that business goes to someone else. You know what? There's more opportunities out there. The sandbox is ginormous. And the more you give, the more value you give that value away for free and, and people will appreciate it and, and appreciate you as a person and, and come and seek you out even more and more. And you're out there selling. People aren't always ready to buy when you're selling. But if you just keep being of value and keep being of help and keep being warm and welcoming, when that time does come, they'll think of you first. And that's what it's all about. Just give. And you, all that emotion, energy of just mind, mind, mind. This, this ball, this tense ball that you are, just let that all go. And it's just, it's just easier. It's, it's more fun. We can find more like-minded people. The energy is better. It's a better way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you do a lot of different things in your business. You've mentioned you do web, you build websites, you host websites, you do some, I don't think you do the printing, but you'll set stuff up for print marketing. You do video, you do social media campaigns, you help with content marketing, where do you suggest people start if they are one, so two-part question, one, if they want to get into marketing, if they see this as something that they really want to do as a career, where can they start? And two, if they really don't want to do marketing, and I'm raising my hand here, but they know they have to survive, where do you recommend right. those folks start just to get a sense of the foundations and, and what they need to know to even move forward? Social media these days has been key for those who don't know where to go. It's the library of the world. I, I think YouTube is a great place just to learn and see things. I'm a visual learner. So YouTube helps me in that aspect. Just use the search engine and search whatever it is you're trying to find. Twitter. There's a bunch of experts on Twitter that kind of tout what they do. They give away a lot of tutorials for free. They're going that route, sign up for newsletters and things of that nature for all those people because there's a lot of free value add information if you're trying to get started and want to do it on your own. If you are in a business right now and you need to do marketing uh, and you don't want to do it, has a finite amount of, amount of time and they want to spend that time servicing their clients. And it just, it gets frustrating that they can't get to the marketing aspect. There's, there's people like me that can help you out with that. If you want to partner with um, a, a small firm. I'm a firm believer that your success is my success. I want you guys to be happy and, and, and know that load is off your shoulders. So you, you can get your job done. I'm blanking on the second part of your question. I know it's a two-part question. No, that's we'll, okay. We'll... So the first part was people who want to go into marketing as a career. And the second part was people who need help with marketing and don't know where to start. There's a lot of you know, solopreneurs, small shops that can do that. It depends on how much marketing you want. I think the main, the main thing that people can't do is the consistency part. They have great ideas. They can do it once. It's finding that person to, to make it consistent, whether you find a small local marketing firm or whether you hire somebody through Upwork or someone like that, one of those services to pay them a, a monthly payout to just to make things consistent. There's a uh, softwares out there like a uh, Hootsuite that you can just program things into that can disseminate however often you want it to go, but it, it makes it consistent. You can have the mindset of 
everyone thinks uh, I need to write, I have to do one every day. No, you could write 10 blogs over two days and then program them to go out once a week. The, the automation of things just makes things simpler, but it gives you that consistency that you need to maintain, to, to attract people. Like I said before, they're not ready to buy initially, but when they do, if they keep seeing your name pop up and you keep giving value, when they are ready to buy, you will be top of mind. That's awesome. Now, do you work with just local clients or do you work with people? I've worked with people all over. I would say primarily people in Indianapolis, but I've worked with people in Chicago. I've worked with people in Los Angeles. Like I said, this is a time, right? The digital age. I think COVID spun everything forward five years quickly. It's no thing to get on a Zoom and help people about Indianapolis and beyond. Okay. The beyond, beyond. uh, which is where most of our listeners live is in the beyond. So (laughs) if someone wanted to reach out to you, Matthew, and find out more about your services or what it would be like to work with you, And I want to say, I'm so thrilled. You and I have just started working together in one of my businesses and soon the second one also. Your whole approach to the way you go about things, the way you explain things is just phenomenal. How can people learn more? Thank you. Praise from Caesar. Thank you very much for that. I'm on Twitter at Matt McNary. You can follow my dumb ramblings there. You can go to uh, groundfloorcreative.com. That's my to see all the things that we've done and uh, the portfolios of other things we've done uh, in video and web. You can come visit me at BNI if you want to do that. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, uh, reach out for me and we can get some coffee and just talk. I just like talking about this stuff. I like just, it's, uh, it's what I do and I do it because I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Matthew. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you being on the show and I appreciate the partnership that we have in business and beyond. Amy, thank you. I appreciate your, you as well. I can honestly say I wouldn't be where I am without uh, you coaxing me along. So I appreciate it. Thank you. What Matthew means to say is I keep kicking him in the butt. <laughs> I need somebody to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the two hands on Matthew's back, but no. <laughs> I just see such great things in you and I want to see you do great. All right. Thanks so much. Did you love Matthew? I hope so. What I loved about this interview, like I said in the beginning, is it's always fun for me to get a little bit deeper into the career stories of people that I already know. And I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as well. If you did, please subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. So I know right now you're looking at the app and you're thinking, Amy, there are only five stars. What are you talking about? Okay, give us all those stars, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the guest or the episode. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It to Be It is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping organizations transform their reclusive nerds into inclusive leaders for a strong, sustainable, competitive advantage. Lead at any level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It to Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.